Uh, some of you are wondering, who is this guy? Why is he up here? Um, uh, I've told my testimony before, and many of you know I grew up in a Christian home. I was inculcated. There, Jim, I used that word again. It is the word of the day. Pastor shared it in Sunday school this morning. Uh, by persistent instruction in biblical principles my entire life. Uh, when I was nine years old, my parents became missionaries. So about third grade on, we were either on deputation or on the mission field. And uh, I spent my early teens and my entire teenage life on the mission field. When I went to college, um, I wanted to become a missionary, medical missionary and be a surgeon. Uh, but I found out that uh, you cannot get into medical school with a grade point average that starts with a one point something. They don't allow that. So, so I um, made the dean's list, um, not the one you want to make, the other one uh, where they sent you the letter. And I uh, took a couple years off from college, uh, got married, uh, had our daughter, and uh, that does an amazing thing to refocus your life. And uh, it was uh, two years after I dropped out of college that I went back to college. This, this time with a focus on education. I changed my major to Bible, to elementary education, and science. And I love amphibians and reptiles. I love them. Uh, I felt that the Lord had called me to um, have an impact for him as a uh, teacher in a mission field that is very rarely uh, uh, evangelized in America, and that's our public school system. I, I in, in my entire college career, my Bible classes, I never did take a hermeneutics class, though. I never took a preaching class, uh, but I guess after hearing millions of messages, you're supposed to start out with a story or a joke, so let me tell you a quick little story. Uh, last week, I was in my truck with my grandson, Jordan, and uh, he's 16-year-old. We were on our way to fish, and the boat was uh, being towed behind us, and we hit one of those lulls in our conversation. And I looked over, and he was playing on his cell phone like teenagers will do. And I said, and I said, I, I leaned over and said, hey, do you, do you remember the story of Noah and the Ark? He said, yeah. So I told him that the day came when uh, the flood was over, and uh, Noah was preparing for all the animals to leave the Ark. And as they left through the open door, Noah told them exactly what God told him. He said, go forth, be fruitful, multiply. Told each of the animals that. After all the animals left, Noah had turned around and noticed that there were two snakes still far in the back corner of one of the stalls. They hadn't moved. Noah approached them and pointed to the sunny doorway, and again, he said, hey, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. We can't, said one of the snakes. We're adders. Now, the funny part about that whole thing is he didn't give me a laugh. He didn't give me a groan. He just stared at me. Never even cracked a smile. And he went right back to his cell phone. About 30 seconds later, a big grin spread over his face. He said, ah, oh, an adder is a snake. He tried to Google it. He didn't know the answer. He didn't know what an adder was. A few seconds later, he said, Papa, he said, did you know that adders are venomous? I said, yes, Jordan, I know that. I, I like reptiles and amphibians. I know a lot about snakes. 
few seconds later, he goes, did you know that they give live birth? And I said, yeah, a lot of snakes give live birth. Garter snakes give live birth. He said, they do? Yeah, they do. Did you know that adders usually have a dozen babies at a time? Yes, Jordan, I know. I know amphibians. I know reptiles. I, I didn't just tell you that to get a laugh. I want to actually use it to illustrate what I believe is that there are three levels of knowledge. Three levels of knowledge. Follow me for here for a minute. The first level of knowledge is not knowing. Jordan did not know that an adder was a snake. There are lots of things that I don't know. If you want a list, see my wife. She'll let you know exactly things I do not know. She keeps a list, I'm sure. I rarely admit to it, but it's true. There are lots of things I do not know. The second level of knowledge is knowing. The first level is not knowing. The second level is knowing. I know reptiles pretty well. I can identify most of them. Moving from Michigan to Florida three years ago, I had to learn an entire new species or groups of species of snakes. Uh, there's a lot more species of snakes here in Florida than there are in Michigan, and some of them down here are nasty, mean, and venomous. I know snakes, and I know them pretty well. If you and I, however, were walking through a field and we came across a snake that has a black line on its eyes and maybe some lines on its side, I would have a little bit of a problem identifying, because there's two snakes. There's the, the, there's the banded water snake, and then there's the cottonmouth. One is perfectly harmless, the other one's venomous. They look very similar. And although I know snakes, I'm not willing to bet my life on it. You and I probably would have a race to see who could get out of that field fast enough. I know snakes, but I'm not willing to bet my life on it. There's the not knowing. There's the knowing. And then there's the third level that I want to talk about tonight. And that's what I call knowing that I know. The knowing that I know level. That's when I'm positive. That's when I have no doubts. Now, in Michigan right now, it is starting, beginning the salmon run season. And I salmon fish a lot. I have a favorite fishing line knot that I tie called a polymer knot. It's the strongest knot possible. And I know I know how to tie it. How do I know? Because I've been on a pier in the middle of the dark with just a line and a hole to put it through, and I can tie that knot in the dark. It's a lot like you tying your shoes in the dark. You know that you know you can do it. You've done it enough times. There's no doubt. You're 100% positive. I know that I know. So the three levels of knowing is not knowing, knowing, and knowing that you know. You're 100% positive. This evening, I've entitled this message, I know that I know. Take your Bibles tonight. Open to 1 John chapter 5, please. 1 John chapter 5. I want to look at a couple verses here in 1 John. Not the book of John, but near the end of the New Testament is uh, 1 and 2 John and uh, the Peters and the Judes. The Revelation, that's those small, tiny books is where we're at. 1 John chapter 5. And once you get there, could you let your eyes drop down to verse 13, please? And I want to talk to you about how I know that I know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it says this. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. 
this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. This evening, with the help of the Apostle John, the disciple that Jesus loved, I'd like to explore four basic things that every Christian should know that they know. Not just know, but know that they know. Let's go to prayer. Father, as we come before you this evening, as we open the oven of the warm bread of heaven and read your word and have your Holy Spirit speak to us, we pray, Father, that you'll help us as Christians, to understand that these are things that you want us to know that we know in our Christian life. We pray that you'll open our hearts and minds as your Holy Spirit speaks to us. In your name we pray. Amen. The entire book of 1 John, the Apostle John wrote directly to Christians. So tonight's message is for Christians. John used the word no 36 times in this letter of 1 John. I, I, I think the Holy Spirit wants Christians to know a few things. Not just know them, but know that they know them. And I want to share tonight just four of those things. Four things that I know that I know. First of all, you want to write these down? They're there in black and white in 1 John chapter 5. I know that I know that I cannot lose my salvation. I know that I know that I cannot lose my salvation. Look at verse 13. John says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I was saved when I was five years old. It was very young, um, but... I, I had been in church for a long time. I had learned the gospel in Sunday school through teaching and, and songs and games. I was inculcated. I'm going to get that yet. It's going to be my word. I was inculcated. I knew. I heard that I was a sinner. At five years old, I was a wicked sinner. I think I forgot to feed the dog a couple times. I may have lied to my parents. But sin is not just something you do, it's something you've inherited. It's a blood disease. It's a virus. It's a pandemic. And there is no cure. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And even as a five-year-old, I knew that sin 
in my life was going to separate me from God forever. But I also heard that God loved me. And he sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the punishment for my sin. So I didn't have to pay that punishment. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I knew that all I needed to do was believe and confess, according to Romans 10.10. I knew all this because I had learned by hearing teachers teach and preachers preach and parents that lived a consistent godly life. And there was a time when I realized that I needed to do that for myself, even at five years old. And at five years old, I bent my knee beside my father's bed and I prayed a prayer of repentance. And I know at that moment, even at five years old, that I was saved. But there was something I did not know at five years old. Not for many years after I was five years old. I did not know that the second I was saved, that I was sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Later on in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Once you're saved, the Holy Spirit seals your salvation, and you cannot do anything. No one can do anything to unseal that. When I was 12 years old, 12 years old, I attended Lake Ann Baptist Youth Camp in Lake Ann, Michigan. And multiple times, from the time I was 5 to I was 12, multiple times I would come down to the altar, and I would, I would, I want to be sure I'm saved, so I'd I do the motions of being saved again, then go back to my seat and feel the same. And then weeks later, I would feel convicted. What if you're not saved? And I'd come forward again and, and do it again. And I must have done that 30 or 40 times. Sometimes I would come down to the altar, and somebody would come meet with me, and I'd tell them a totally different reason why I came. But I always came because I wanted to be sure I was saved. And then when I was 12, I attended Lake Ann Baptist Youth Camp, and a young teenage counselor met with me, and he took me to these verses. Look at these. John chapter 10. Take your Bible. Go keep your foot in uh, 1 John, or at least your big toe. And go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. Listen to these words. John 10, 28 and 29. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That young man took me to these verses. We are sealed. Can I ask you a question? Look at that first verse, 28. I give unto them eternal life. What does eternal mean? Eternal means Eternal. You cannot give it a different definition. In fact, Christ goes on and says, and they shall never perish. When is never? Never is never. This book is not hard to understand. I give them eternal life. We're sealed. I have a fishing pole, two fishing poles that I really like. They're Okuma guide selects. And on the handle of them, it says lifetime warranty. And when I was at home this last summer, I was casting for bluegills, no less. 
And as I cast, I heard a snap and looked up, and the whole tip of that rod had broken right off. So I called them and said, hey, this has a lifetime warranty. They said, sure, yeah, we'll send you a new one. So they did. How long is that rod going to last? Maybe a lifetime, maybe another 10 years. A lifetime is not eternal. Ladies, my wife went to the hairstylist and got something called a permanent. Three months later, she said, I'm going to the hairstylist. I said, for what? She said, to get a permanent. I said, wait a minute. You already went and got a permanent. How long is a permanent supposed to last? Shouldn't it be permanent? Oh, no, your hair grows down. It's not permanent. Eternal means eternal. Can anybody know what kind of food lasts the longest? What food can you sit down on the counter and come back later and eat it and it's still like it's not spoiled? No, not McDonald's french fries. They look like it, but trust me, I tried them a week later, they're still not the same. What is it? No, it might be, you might think, but there's some there's something actually that lasts a lot longer than that. Ugh. We're not in Hawaii. They, when they opened up the pyramids, they found food that had lasted and not spoiled. The food that they found that lasted and was not spoiled, even way back in the pyramid times, in Moses' day, and those times, was honey. Honey does not spoil. It, it put it up in the cupboard, and three years later, you come back, it's got a little bit of sugar on the top, but it, does, it lasts a long time. But let me tell you this, it's not eternal. Salvation is eternal. It lasts forever. And I know that I know John, 1 John 5.13 says, you can know that you know that you have eternal life. I know that I know that I can never lose my salvation. Back in John 28, this is, this is what the young man shared with me. I brought a dollar bill tonight. And I'm a teacher on summer break, otherwise this would be a 20. Um, the Bible says that our salvation is sealed by the Holy Ghost. And John 28 says that God puts that in Christ's hand. Look at the verse. It says, no man is able to take that out of my hand. We are in the hands of Jesus. Is Jesus going to let us go? It doesn't stop there, though. It says that God the Father also is involved. My Father, which is greater than all, and no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So we've got that sealed. We've got in Jesus' hands, and we've got in God the Father's hands. And it says no man is able to pluck it out of my hand. I'm a man. What if I decide I don't want to anymore? What if I quit? No man. If my son Benjamin in North Carolina tonight says, okay, I've had it. I'm not a Chilton anymore. He can even change his name, but that does not stop the fact that he's my son. We are the children of Jesus if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And no man, no man, not even you, can pluck you out of the Father's hand. I know that I know that I cannot lose my salvation. Number two, go back to 1 John where your toe is. 
I know that I know that God hears and answers prayer. Look at verse 14. This is the confidence, 1 John 5. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. I know that I know that God hears and answers my prayer. Others know it too. People I work with. Friday, we had, a, we had a school get-together because our school was the highest-rated elementary school in the county for the tests this past year. We're an A-plus school, and we're like, yeah! So we got together at a party, and at the party, they started bringing around an envelope. And the envelope was for everybody to give $2 because apparently there was a big lottery thing going on, and we could all win $1.3 billion, and then we'd have a whole school without teachers. But they brought it around, and they got to my table, and they didn't ask me, do you want to give $2? You know what they asked me? Paul, will you pray over this? They really did. They asked me that. Will you pray over this? And I said, no, I'm not, because, because my God is not a genie that I make wishes for and wishes from. God set down some very clear guidelines of what we're supposed to do when we pray. Let me list three of them. First of all, in Scripture, God tells us to pray fervently. James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I was, years ago when I was a youth pastor, we took our youth group to Mexico, Juarez, Mexico, where we picked up a whole bunch of tracts uh, from Bearing Precious Seed and some New Testaments. And we loaded a bus and we drove deep into the heart of Mexico and we were handing out tracts and Bibles and each night we would stop at a village, and each, well, each morning we'd stop at a village, and we'd, we'd set up at the park, and we'd set up a big screen and show a Christian movie, and then a, a native pastor would get out and preach, and people would get saved. It was a wonderful mission trip, very productive, and the first night we were there, we passed out tracks all over the town and invitations to the movie, and there were probably four or five hundred people there, and the, the movie was shown in the in the and the a preacher preached, and as the preacher preached, I got my youth group together and said, okay, guys, let's pray for this because we don't speak Spanish very well. We're going to sit here and we're going to pray. So we sat there and we, we went around the circle and everybody prayed for the meeting. And then we got done. The preacher was still going on. And there were like six or seven people that got saved that night. And we as a youth group were like, yes! The next morning, we went to a different village. And the mission pastor sat down with us and said, what were you guys doing when we were preaching? He said, we were praying. He said, um, you weren't praying fervently. What? He said, no. He said, I saw some of you praying, then you get up and you go around and talk to somebody or see them. He said, when we're preaching, we need to pray fervently. When you're done praying in this group, go to another group. Go to another. Plead with the Lord for souls. Plead. Pray fervently. So we did. We prayed fervently that night. We went from one group to another for an entire hour and a half to two hours while the movie was showing, while, while the preacher was preaching, we prayed fervently. You know what God did for us? That same size crowd, we saw 150 people saved that night. I truly believe it was because we prayed fervently. Too many times we bow our head for dinner and we pray, and we're not praying fervently. We might as well not even be praying. 
God tells us to pray fervently. Number two, God tells us to pray expectantly. In Mark chapter 11, he says, Believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. You need to pray expectantly. There was this woman, I heard the story about a, a woman who was in Walmart driving around looking for a parking spot, and she couldn't find it. And she drove and drove up and down the aisles, no parking spots. And finally she stopped, she bowed her head and said, Oh God, if you can just give me a parking spot, I'll go to church every Sunday from now on. And she opened her eyes and a car pulled out. And she was like, never mind, God, I got it. She pulled in. We need to pray expectantly. We are on that same mission trip. And we were, we were seeing hundreds saved every night. And the teens that I took, some of them spoke Spanish. And I was blessed as a youth pastor to watch them. I watched them that would sit down during the invitation with a book of of John and lead a Spanish person to the Lord. And I saw many of my teens doing that, and I wanted that for me. But I only know two Spanish words, Taco Bell. Those are the only, I can't lead somebody in Spanish to the Lord. And I prayed. I prayed fervently and I prayed expectantly, Lord, give me a soul. And as I'm praying, this older man walks up to me and pulls. He had a copy of the John Romans, and he, he pointed to it, and he pointed to it, I want this. And I was like, and I bowed my head for just a second and said, Lord, I need help, and a little arm pulled out my hand. And it couldn't have been a kid of seven or eight years old, a little boy I'd never seen before, and he said, I speak English too. I prayed expectantly, and before that night was over, the old man had trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior, and so had the little boy. I prayed expectantly, and prayer is powerful if you pray fervently and if you pray expectantly. But the other thing that God tells us about prayer is we got to pray without quitting. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, very short verse, so men, if you need one for next week, pray without ceasing. Always be in prayer. Always. That doesn't mean when you're driving down the road, close your eyes. Because you've got texts to send while you're driving. What it means is always be in the attitude of prayer. Always be in your life. Make your life so consistent, so walk with God that you can pray and talk to Him all the time. Consistently, without quitting. I know that I know that I cannot lose my salvation. I know that I know that God answers and hears my prayers. Number three, verse 18 and 19. I know that I know that I'm supposed to live a life of integrity. Look at verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now I'm teaching the uh, youth worship time every first Sunday of the month. And next Sunday, guys, that are in here for youth worship, we're going to talk about integrity. We're going to talk about that big word called integrity. And we're going to go to Proverbs 19.1. If you'll go there really quickly, I want to share this verse with you. Proverbs 19.1 says, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity 
than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. The word integrity is a powerful word that means to be complete, together in morality, together in righteousness, complete. I've been asked about my uh, classroom management plan. That's how I keep discipline in my classroom. Not really. I figured if Pastor Chris can come up with a uh, holes in his shirt one Sunday and a six-pack another Sunday, I can come up with a knife and an apple. Let me share with you what integrity means. This is our righteousness. This is our life. The verse there in Proverbs chapter 19 calls it our walk. It's our life. And God expects us to keep this complete and whole and righteous. But when we get involved with the world, watch what happens. Now we got part of our life that goes for righteousness and part of our life that goes to worldliness. God wants us to keep it complete. This is integrity. Keeping our life complete and whole. I know that I know that God wants me to have integrity. The word walk there means our daily life. Every decision you make should be with integrity. Even when nobody else is going to know. Because God knows. And John knew. I know that I know I'm supposed to have integrity. I'm supposed to live a life of integrity. We were on our road trip this last summer. And we decided we were going to pay cash for everything. that Gas-wise. And usually I would take about $60 in. And that would just about fill the tank. So I took my $60 cash in and gave it to the cashier, and I said, I'll be back in case I need some change. And I went out, and I put $58 worth in, $58. And I came back in, and he gave me $52 change. And I was walking away, and I thought, well, this is pretty sick, and I started counting. $52. I put more than $8 worth of gas in. And I stop, and I'm at the door. I'm in Utah where nobody knows me. He was already dealing with the next customer. It was gone from him. And as I got to the door, I stopped. And I thought, integrity. And I turned around and went back. And then he was really confused. He was like, no, 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 that, no. And I had to explain it to him. Even when I left and I got my $2 back instead of my $52 back, he was still confused. But I walked out with a pure conscience because I had integrity. We are supposed to live a life in integrity. But I want to point out one more word in that verse. Look at the first word. Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity. That word better means clearly that we have a choice to live a life of integrity. We have, we have a choice to stay whole or be pulled by the world. To split our allegiance. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That apple wasn't stable. Once it was cut, it wasn't stable. I know that I know that I cannot lose my salvation. I know that I know that God hears and answers my prayer. I know that I know that I'm supposed to live a life of integrity. Let me give you the last one really briefly here. It's found in verse 20. I know that I know 
that the gospel is true. I know that I know that the gospel is true. Look at verse 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. That's the Bible. That we may know him that is true. That's God the Father. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Do you think that being lied to is something new? Do you think when you turn on CNN, the Communist News Network, and they lie to you that that's the first time they've ever done that and that's simply a mistake? John tells us that we can know that we know that the gospel is true. Scripture is truth. God's Son is truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And God is truth. John chapter 8 tells us just the opposite. He says that Satan, in John chapter 8, is the father of lies. It, it's no coincidence that right after the, the first two chapters of creation, the very first chapter after that, Satan lies. He goes to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And the woman in verse 2 says, Unto the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden... God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And then Satan, verse 3, says this, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Liar, liar, pants on fire. If the liar's pants really did catch on fire, he swung it at the woman. Just for the entertainment. Satan knew that the easiest way to make man fall was to lie to him. Lots of lies of Satan in the Bible. The Bible warns us of lots of lies. The biggest lie Satan has on our entire world, Pastor mentioned it this morning. If you just do more good than you do bad, when you get to heaven, St. Peter's going to have a big old scale there. He's going to put all your good things on one side, all your bad things, and if your good outweighs, you're in. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves. How about this lie? You sin more than other people do. You're a bigger sinner. 2 Corinthians 10.13 says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Believe his word. It's true. That ugly sin you were tempted to do, maybe even five minutes ago, is a common temptation. How about this sin? You have fallen again. There's no hope for you now. Proverbs chapter 26, 24, 16, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For a just man falls seven times and rises up again. If a just man falls seven times, how many times do I get to fall? If, if a just man falls seven times, how about a new Christian, a baby? When children learn to walk at one years old, they don't just walk, they fall down. And I know moms are like, eh, eh. Dad's like, let them fall, let them fall. Babies fall all the time, and we let them fall, and they get back up, and they fall again, and get back up. And we don't limit that to seven times. Okay, that's it, seven times, you're done. We don't do that to babies. What about baby Christians? We do that to baby Christians. Churches, church people hurt baby Christians when they fall. Instead of 
picking them out, fresh them all, you can do this. Are we contributing to Satan's lie? Another lie of Satan. You're too weak as a Christian. You won't ever have that old time power. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Second Corinthians 12, 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. John says, I know that I know that the gospel is true. In his, in his gospel, in John chapter 17, John said, sanctify through them through thy truth, thy word is true. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And then, again, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What, what if just one piece of Scripture were untrue? I, I heard a, a man that I really respect, I did really respect, say he believes all the Bible, except Genesis chapter 1 and 2, is just an allegory. That's what he said. What if there's just one fib? What if there's just one stretch, just one lie in the whole entire gospel? Think of your favorite food dish. Mine's lasagna. If I took out the lasagna noodles and replaced them with, like, marshmallows, would that be lasagna? Or if I added ingredients that didn't belong, say, cookies or coffee grounds or wood chips, would that be lasagna? No. And yuck. It would not be what it's supposed to be. Replacing the ingredients or adding unnecessary things would no longer make it lasagna. That's the same thing with the gospel. Too many churches today in our area are adding things or taking things out because it does not look good in society anymore. And it's no longer the gospel. I know that I know the gospel is true. Listen for just a moment, please. I'm just a missionary kid from northern Michigan. I'm just a public school teacher trying to be salt and light in the lives of 10, 11-year-old kids who are unchurched. I just... Teach and preach God's word whenever I get the chance to. But I would lay down my life for these biblical truths that I know, that I know are absolutely, 100%, without a doubt, true. Will you stand together with me, please? With every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment, the musicians are going to come and they're going to start playing. I know that I know that I can never lose my salvation. Do you still doubt? You know, you can know that you know you are sealed and in God's hands. I know that I know that my God hears and answers prayer. My question to you, Christian, are you praying fervently, expectantly, and without quitting? You can know that you know that he hears you and will answer your prayers. 
And I know that I know that God wants me to live a life of integrity. Do you cut off a piece for the world? Or are you living a complete and righteous life? I know that I know the gospel is true. Have you bought into Satan's lies? Are you trusting in Scripture as the truth, the only truth? You can know that you know. Tonight, if you've made a decision for Christ, if you've heard the Holy Spirit speak to you, the altar is open as we sing. You may come and do business with us. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.